it's from the people that actually encounter them. And this is like Chris Hayes colony in a nation. You know, there's a lot of works that talk about this, but you know, the, the Karens of the world, they love the police because they can like use them as their personal hit squad <laughs> to like try and assassinate, you know, people that they're racist against. Right. So by the way, I don't think it's like coincidental that the Karen thing in central park had just happened. Right. Like, like yeah. talk about, talk about just illuminating for everyone, something that's structural and pervasive, but so you have certain people that have, you know, they like calling the police because that makes them feel safe because they're white or wealthy or both. Uh, and, and then there's there's those that, that are scared when the police come around because they're the ones that that get harmed or killed. Um, and so serve and protect is, is very specific to, to kind of the propertied, you know, the bourgeoisie, of course. And, and it is, you know, the militarized police, we can get into this more, is... Um, is a real threat to the human beings. And, um, and so like that one killing, of course, of course, is one of so many that across the country people have, um, been aware of or experienced or had loved ones killed or of course, but been harassed themselves. And it's, it's, uh, it's the kind of action that was, emblematic in a way that you're not just protesting and, and rioting against that action, but about how that action is symptomatic of the pervasive, perverse illness that is just the kind of de facto state of things, if you will, if you'll forgive the play on words, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what uh, uh, Piven and her co-authors say is that, you know, what, what at at these sort of crisis points, um, po- the poor, you know, the lower class can exert their some political agency. Um, and the and the reason it tends to happen like this is because, uh, you know, the, the rest of the political system is really basically designed not to allow those, you know, poor people in the lower class to have any kind of input whatsoever into how society is governed. Um, and so by by you know sort of throwing a fit for lack of a better word you can disrupt the sort of electoral coalitions uh around which you know kind of societies are organized and you can get the state to pay attention to you for a minute you know get uh, at least to maybe address some of your problems and um what they say, and, and and this is where I kind of start to disagree with them a little bit uh, uh, in the current context. You know, they they talk about how um, the these poor people's movements they generally uh, fail. Um, you know, they're either brutally repressed or, insofar as they do succeed, uh, you know, leaders are often co opted, or they'll or like the state will make some sort of token, um, you know grant of something or other to appease their their problems and thereby you know split the coalition because it's like it's small potatoes but it's like good enough for liberals you know who are who are sort of (laughs) anxious about the go ahead i wouldn't say that they they're arguing that they fail per se but that they don't last like like there's like their temporal right so like they're temporally constrained and like they have an opportunity to get something but then, of course, the state is going to try to co-opt and, and, and give concessions and, and establish kind of formal 
uh, ways of dealing with things, which is what we're going to see, right? Like, oh, I just we're going to revive Obama's task force about this, right? Like, and so, yeah. and so, so, but that, but I think they also say that there are things that are successful as well, and it just depends on the particular conditions, uh, you know. I guess part of what they're saying is like, you actually shouldn't think of it as a failure unless you think of what actually was possible in that circumstance. And you should relatively appraise it given those conditions. So something can be relatively successful, right? Even if it doesn't last, right? Or even if the reactionary, even if the reactionary is over time. So part of of the argument I think is that there's an ongoing struggle. And so like, just because the gains made in the sixties were undone in the seventies, because, you know, there was a reaction doesn't mean that wasn't good while it lasted. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, perhaps, perhaps I was overstating things slightly, but um, yeah, I mean, one thing they say is that, uh, people can get a relatively sticky benefits in there. You know, mass labor unrest led to uh, union rights in the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933 and then the National Labor Relations Act in 1935. Yeah. And those were fairly sticky. They didn't last forever. You know, they started being torn up in the 1970s. Union density has fallen by like more than two-thirds since then. Um you know, also with the civil rights movement, uh, they did actually break Jim Crow. Um, they did not get economic justice to any serious extent over and above what the New Deal had. But, you know, if you if you look at the sort of like daily lives of black people in the South uh, in, you know, today versus, you know, 1920, it is categorically different even granting all of the police brutality which is horrible you know the 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 white supremacist terror state in the south was destroyed and you know being able to vote really is important and that's a meaningful thing that people still have in the south even though you know republicans are trying to suppress it it's still there there's still black res- representatives in congress and that and that you know is pretty fucking impressive given the headwind exactly. the yeah. hell the hill that people had to climb over to get there <laughs> i feel like we have to always remind people that reality is neither something to be nihilistic about or idealistic about that that like the reality is somewhere in between which is that there's always a struggle but things can be one that matter and so like the fact that mass incarceration and the current police state is definitely a form of white supremacy and and a violence upon uh, people of color and a social control mechanism doesn't mean that like it isn't amazing and good and great that like lynchings don't happen regularly anymore like that is so like that was a huge thing to defeat and it doesn't mean that the struggle is over and, and similarly right like these various victories they might be um, pushed back and, and, you know, neoliberalism might undo some of the New Deal stuff. But like that doesn't mean those weren't worth doing. We don't have to keep fighting to kind of do better. So we can both accept the victories and learn from them and also learn from the losses and neither be kind of Pollyanna-ish or idealistic nor nihilistic and cynical. So I think it's somewhere in between. And like it's just a matter of realizing in any given moment, you know, it's the thing I've been thinking of. If you have nothing to despair over, there's no need for hope. So the whole point of hope 
is like in reaction to the despair of some violence, some reality that is dismal and terrible. And like hope keeps you from the kind of nihilism that makes you apathetic and seeds power, you know, to perpetuate the violence. And so like hope serves to activate and motivate and so can anger and so can frustration. And like, we got to keep struggling keeping those two things in mind, the successes, the failures, the challenges, the obstacles, as well as the possibilities, right? That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening.